Welcome to the Sports Carnage Podcast, presented by Detroit Sports Nation, featuring Paul Roshan, D. Dylan Bear, and Ryan Griffin, delivering the most arrogant takes on the planet straight to your ears. We don't promise to always be right, but we promise to act like we are. Top of the morning to everyone out there in the sports world this fine June day. D. Dylan Bear, he is here along with my back in action cohort, Ryan PWRSWH Griffin. He is back off of wherever he had ventured from. We have NCAA Conflict, a new segment filled with a ton of very spicy rumors and a B-filled grizzly takes for you kind listeners this episode. Ryan, uh, don't we start off in the land of California, where the NCAA and Golden State are clashing over a particular set of rules that only Paul and his tiki-burning followers would even care about in the modern age. Why don't you fill us in on our first discussion of the day on what's going down out west? So the easiest way to explain it in layman's terms is uh, California State wants to pass a law that would essentially allow college athletes to get paid off their likeness and their image. So they can sell their jerseys, do autographs, you know, if NCAA video game comes back, you can get paid off of that because it's obviously you that's being represented. The NCAA, of course, is not about that life. California is trying to party, and the NCAA very much wants to call the cops and shut everything down to the extent that NCAA President Mark Emmert uh, wrote a letter to the California Senate basically telling them and threatening is probably a better word. If this law passes, we're not going to allow any team from the state of California to be part of our NCAA championship games. So say USC USC comes back on the rise or Stanford in football, not going to the college football playoff, not going to the national championship, no UCLA basketball, San Diego State, if Kawhi comes back and starts coaching, whatever the case is, it's just is not allowed to happen. That's uh and yeah, that that does cause a big problem essentially when and I was just watching actually PTI before uh pardon the interruption for anybody unfamiliar, although I'm sure you all are. Before we started recording, and Tony Kornheiser brought up an interesting point where if this law passes in California, those schools are going to get more good players than they get now because it'll be the only state that says, Hey, you can pay us. And we know when USC good, USC super, super, super sells. So if you have good players at USC, say you get the next Reggie Bush college phenom Heisman winner, and now the NCAA is saying if that team's good, 12-0, 13-0, they win the Pac-12 or whatever, now that team can't go to the college football playoff. That's a big problem for everybody all around, money-wise, and just you know, in the kind of on-standing moral battle that the NCAA has always had to face uh, from critics who think, you know, Players should be paid one way or another, and the NCAA is always just trying to put out that uh, put out that fire. Well, it's interesting for a different angle for me is that uh, they say that uh, obviously that there no in program at all program at all is going to be able to 
uh, contend for national titles, which is interesting because California and UCLA in particular have a lot of those smaller programs, whether it's volleyball or water polo, golf, you know, that sort of stuff. The California schools do very well, just by and large. In particular, I know that in uh, college baseball, uh, is it UC Irvine, I believe, is really good. Like one of those kind of offshoot California schools uh, has a really good pipeline. And you're telling me that you're going to have all of those national title winning programs all of a sudden gone. I think that this honestly really boils down to one very simple thing, which is that the NCAA in California are going to come and they're going to talk about it. That is the reason for this. They are going to discuss it and it's going to expedite the process of the NCAA doing the same thing. Good on California to get them to do this because California is not going to back down. What are you going to do? Stop us? You're going to pull us from NCAA discussions? Just like you said, what happens if there's a Los Angeles dude who comes up the ranks like a Zion who rises up to Reggie Bush levels in football? Or let's say that you got a Zion-esque kid in college basketball who decides to go to UCLA, which they won't because UCLA program is dead. Check back to our episode two weeks ago regarding chasing ghosts for that bit. But what's interesting is that I think that this is going to... So the timeline for California to do this is 2023. That is when the proposed date is for California to pass this. I think the NCAA, in turn, is going to counter and say, chill out. We will do the same thing with our own language in 2024-25, which is sooner than I think was expected, which means there's a very good chance we could get NCAA football back, which is honestly the only thing I care about out of this whole process anyway. I want football back way more than six years down the line. The only thing with that is like the NCAA could pull some pull some Houdini stuff and tell you to lay off until 2023 and then just not do what they say they're going to do or keep pushing back the deadline, filibuster it, if you will, until right. college athletes just don't get to don't get to make money off their jerseys, which people are buying because it's them. It seems like the easiest and it's probably a different discussion. That seems like the easiest way to give these kids money. Say, like, hey, someone bought yeah. your jersey. Well, you're clear. You're clearly Reggie Bush. That's the USC number five. There you go. <laughs> I guess my uh, what I'm curious about what you think about this is why does the NCAA care so much? Like legitimate, like seriously, not based on their language of trying to separate amateurism and professionalism. Like that's bullshit. All right, it's just straight bullshit. Why do you think the real reason is that the NCAA doesn't want this to happen? Because then they would get less money. Right now, they're getting all the profits with really no other viable option. The NBA is trying to come up with, uh, you know, like the G League for kids to, or even a kid like Darius Baisley, to take that year off from college and just not go anywhere and just kind of work on his game. But right now, the NCAA knows there's no viable alternative to, especially for football. Like, where else are you going to go? You're going to go play in Canada for a year and then make your way onto the, you know, the NFL kind of circuit. It just doesn't happen like that. So now the NCAA knows they got really these kids bent over a barrel where you're going to come to our schools regardless. And to the NCAA, it probably really doesn't matter which school they go to. 
because usually they're taking they're they're taking they're picking a top school uh, who's going to be on TV. It's not like these kids are you know it's not like they're going to NCAA football and going to Eastern Michigan or you know uh, Alabama Birmingham or whatever and making a powerhouse out of them. They're going to schools that everybody's already watching anyway. So the NCAA doesn't have to do anything because they just get to collect their checks. Well, and it's, but it's interesting that you say that's more profitable for them because I would counter that with all these NCAA investigations and the, what the FBI is doing and all these resources that they keep wasting on quote-unquote paying players, you would think that they would want to get rid of it because it's just, is it worth the headache? Like, you're, you're sitting here having a pissing contest with Ole Miss for no reason. Just get over yourself. Let the players get their likeness so there's no more bag men you have to worry about because then these top players are going to get theirs regardless so you don't have to have you LSU or Ole Miss out there trying to pay kids a thousand bucks to you know aunt uncle whatever you would think logically that they wouldn't want it I think there is a bit of tinged racism in this of kind of the unpaid labor the whole if you will slave mentality part of this where oh well you work for us and how dare you when we give you all these opportunities and all this bullshit that they're gonna say cars and clothes yeah that's what i think it is but it's a messed up situation i think mark emmerich's a shill i despise the ncaa and i think the power five is going to break away from the ncaa eventually anyway with all these tv contracts and everything that's happening so does the NCAA pay for those FBI investigations, or do those just, like, happen? They pay for the what? Do they pay for those, like, FBI investigations, or does the FBI just like, hey, we got you? Well, the, the NCAA takes their first preliminary whatever, and then they turn it over to the FBI, but then the FBI have to send them to somebody. So that's the NCAA paying salaries for people who are trained with everything hr packages and all of that for people who are specifically designated for their punishments or regulations or whatever the hell and there are entire divisions of individuals within the ncaa who are trained specifically to track this stuff and imagine if you got rid of that and i'm not advocating people losing their jobs i bet they're very capable and could easily find work elsewhere i'm just saying the ncaa it's the same thing as as the United States government not federalizing pot when now 11 states have it legalized. Like, man, you are trying way too hard to stop the tide that has already crashed into the coast. The water is already hit. The sand is wet. There is nothing you can do anymore. Stop fighting. Maybe they could spend more time investigating real things, like Larry Nasser, instead of yelling at Tom Izzo for taking kids on tour of the resin. <laughs> that's right oh so, yeah, speaking of michigan state needs to pay more money for that because now they got teachers doing the same shit that's right embarrassing i can't you can't believe that six and 17 years I mean, I the, the numbers are slowly going down Uh, all right. Well, that was 
That was lovely NCAA talk. So now we're on to the best part. Oh, here we go. So cue the sirens, Matt. And if you don't, I'll stab you. So. Why would you do sirens in race cars? <laughs> what? So why would you, yeah, <laughs> do, you right. do both? Ready? I'm born ready. Ladies and gentlemen, we are debuting. We we actually did it a little bit last week with Matt, but we got ourselves a new segment for the hot dog days of summer, and that is the Burnt Furnace Rumors. We got 10 steaming coals on the flames of intrigue for sports, and we are going to be starting it off, Ryan, so the way this is going to work is I'm going to be reading off these rumors for you, and I want you to respond to them. Let's cue up that music and let's get the burnt furnace cooking. We start off with round ball, basketball. This is the time free agency is almost upon us. It's coming up real close. So we start off with number one is Kristaps Porzingis staying in Dallas, according to Sham Sharania, Sharania, however you pronounce his last name. Restricted free agent Kristaps Porzingis and the Dallas Mavericks will meet when free agency opens on June 30th, and the franchise plans to offer Porzingis five years, 158 mil maximum contract. Is he staying in Dallas? Yeah, he's staying in Dallas for the foreseeable future. I mean, that's kind of... You knew it as soon as they traded for him. With the assets that they gave up, the pairing with him and Luka, they're going for the the all-foreign, all-time team. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's very fitting that Kristaps will be staying in Dallas and alleged uh, sexual assaulters staying in a place where the front office was running rampant with it. So, perfect fit there, I guess. We move on. To the New York Knickerbockers, hunting for players with the added free agency cap that they have. So, according to the Undefeated, other free agents on the Knicks' radar, other than Kemba Walker, is including their own free agent center, DeAndre Jordan, Warriors center, DeMarcus Cousins, Twins, Markeith, and Marcus Morris, hey. and New Orleans Pelicans forward, Julius Randle, who apparently, quote-unquote, have mutual interest. Are the Knicks going to land any of these guys? They'll probably land a couple of them, maybe one of the Morris brothers, maybe not DeMarcus Cousins, DeAndre Jordan, possibly they could think about keeping, even Julius Randle. If they whiff on Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Kawhi, all the bigger name players, they're going to have to spend their money somehow, and the Knicks don't usually spend their money wisely. So they'll they'll peg peg one of those guys. How many of them do you think, out of all of them, who do you think that they will be getting most likely? Well, I think the brothers could come in a package with Marcus and Markeith. Um, I don't. I don't hate their chances at Kemba, honestly. You know, he played East Coast, you know, in the Big East in college. Um, he put on a show at Madison That's Square right. Garden. That's right. And they still need a point guard. Uh, so I think that'd be a, a pretty good fit. Out of anyone that's like a kind of a dark horse for that, um, I could definitely see Julius Randle having some interest in going to New York. He seems like a big 
stats guy. And if New York doesn't have anything else, Julius Randle would just be allowed to kind of do whatever he wants there, uh, almost in the vein of like an Amari Stoudemire when he was there. All right, all right. So now, according to ESPN, speaking of New York, Gotham, and point guards, we got Kyrie to Brooklyn possibly being a quote-unquote sure thing. For weeks, most plugged-in reporters have pegged Brooklyn as Kyrie Irving's preferred choice. With free agency less than a week away, it still appears to be true per sources across the league. Is Kyrie a net? Yes. I don't really see anywhere else where he could possibly go, and the Nets are trying to, and it would, I don't want to spoil it, but the Nets are trying to recruit some of Katie's friends. Um, Kyrie being one of those guys to play for them. He signed with Rock Nation. It sounds like they probably already told D'Angelo Russell, hey, start looking elsewhere um, with him having so much interest in other teams, even though he could still very well be a net. It seems like Kyrie to Brooklyn is the most the most sure thing in this free agency. I think it's, uh, you know, out of both teams, if Brooklyn signs Kyrie, I think it's the one that's going to be in the biggest mess moving forward. I think this past year in Boston didn't reflect very well on him. We will see, but uh, that's a that's a situation to be interested in for sure because Brooklyn is going to be a major free agency destination if they sign him on June 30th at like 7 p.m. or whatever it is. Now, you mentioned... D'Angelo Russell. Now, this is a story I don't like at all, but <laughs> Lakers and D'Angelo Russell possibly mending a broken phone. I Sorry, I mean a broken relationship. According to ESPN, there is at least a kernel of truth to the Lakers' interest in a reunion, sources say. But L.A. has a lot to sort out, obviously with the cap space and uh, Rob Palenka being a straight-up dumbass. Russell fits the Knicks timeline in case they strike out on bigger fish, but all indications are that New York will pursue short-term deals in that scenario. So, it looks like the furthest most suitor for D'Angelo Russell is the Los Angeles Lakers. Ryan, please respond to this while I go throw up in the bathroom. I mean, it makes sense for both parties and it's kind of the perfect scenario for the Lakers where before they couldn't keep them. And it's not that they're choosing between D'Lo and Nick Young is that everybody in the locker room hated D'Angelo Russell. So your situation was going to be untenable for however long you really had any of those guys there. But now pretty much all of those guys are broomed out. You can bring back D'Angelo Russell with the with now a super roster with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on there. He provides shooting that LA does not yet have and it's another ball handler that can take, you know, the pressure off LeBron for when he's doing his load management thing or when he's not, you know, kind of the primary focus on the offense, so maybe he can spend a little bit more time on the defensive end um, and kind of shoring up some of the some of those lazy possessions that we saw this year. So I think it's a move that fits. I don't like it because I like D'Angelo Russell and I'd hate to see him with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, but I think it makes sense for, for both parties. I really hope not. I don't care where D'Angelo Russell goes. Do not go to the worst franchise in all sports. I hate the Lakers so much. I hate them, and their dysfunction is beautiful. And I hope this cap sp- cap issue that Palenka has got them in makes it so they can't sign him. I hope that he goes to the Knicks. That'd be awesome. But that also would mean that they missed on Kemba. But if Kemba's not going to the New York Knicks, which would make me sad, 
If he doesn't go there, get D'Angelo Russell, move him right across the bridge. Let's get him to New York. Moving to that story, by the way, because the last two are my saddest memories, is Boston and Dallas are in the hunt for Kemba Walker. According to Mark Stein of New York Times, we can scratch the quote-unquote term stealth. Boston and Dallas are at the front of the line that will be trying to lure Kemba Walker away from Charlotte, league sources say. Ryan, say say it's not true. Say it's not true, man. For Boston, Kemba's a kind of a more team-friendly Kyrie. He can do a lot of the same stuff. He's a good shooter. He can get to the basket. His handle's crazy. He's just not as ball dominant or probably easy or harder hard to get along with um, as Kyrie is. And for Dallas, kind of the same thing with D'Lo and LeBron. You think you could just run Point Luca out there, um, but maybe they want to take some of the offensive pressure off him. Add another shooter with Kristaps, Luca, and Kemba. Uh, you know, it seems. It seems like both options make sense. I'd prefer him to go to Dallas in that scenario because I want Danny Ainge to burn with all of his assets. <laughs> yeah, you would think you would think that Boston, after losing so much in their project, clearly not working with the Kyrie and Gordon Hayward and what have you, that if they were able to get Kemba, it kind of wash all that away. But I'd be interested to see how Boston will be if they don't sign anybody major and then they lose Al Horford. What is what's Danny Ainge going to do? You got all these assets cool but if jason tatum doesn't turn into much you don't you don't got much going into the next two or three years well then they'll keep uh your boy terry mm, terry oh oh terry no, Rozier, no, no, scary no. terry hey hey I, apparently i have a point guard now now he may be as smart as the uh <laughs> keyboard that i'm typing on but uh apparently i have a point guard so apparently Rozier's not in the play or in the in the works for the bulls and we move smart. on for our, our next few rumors here. We go to the gridiron. Football is still a thing. We haven't forgot about it, despite our track record over the last few episodes. So our first rumor here, and this one I think you'll have a, a fair amount of insight into, uh, uh, Ryan. It's a little wordy, so let me get through it. But Ezekiel Elliott is will not be receiving an extension from Dallas, according to Dan Graziano hey. from ESPN. He says, quote-unquote, I do not think Elliott gets an extension this offseason, or even next offseason. As vital as player as he is, the Cowboys don't feel the same urgency with this deal that they do with Prescott, Cooper, or even cornerback Byron Jones. They picked up the 2020 option on Elliott for $9.099 million, and because running back numbers always stay low relative to other positions... They feel good about their ability to use the franchise tag on him in 2021 if need be. They have a sensible cost control over Elliott for at least three years. What do you make of this situation? I mean, it sucks for Elliott. It's probably the right move for the Cowboys and the way the NFL is progressing. You probably never want to pay a running back that much money. But I still think having a great running back is important. And it may be outdated thinking, but Ezekiel Elliott is one of the best running backs in the NFL, but he very much seems like the type of guy that would hold out if you did try and franchise him. So I don't know how that's well I don't know how well that's going to go over uh, for the Cowboys. But then you get a, a Felix Jones or what's his name, a, a James Conner, someone like that to see if they can replace it, um, or if they just try and plug anyone back there and then they don't work. Ezekiel can just sit back and say, "Hey, I told you to," 
and it might be one of those situations like a couple years ago where uh, when Dak Prescott was a rookie and the Cowboys had a pretty solid team all around, you thought they might even be able to make a Super Bowl run, but they just didn't have that player at quarterback. Now it might be the same thing with the running back because Dak Prescott, unless he makes some great uh, strides in his throwing ability, I think the Cowboys need Ezekiel Elliott more than some more than some other teams need their running back. What I think is going to be interesting about this scenario moving forward is that unlike in Pittsburgh, because everyone's going to compare it to that, because, oh, what happens if he Le'Veon Bell's the situation? I don't think Dallas is going to let it get to that point for a very, very, very key reason. Dak Prescott, even in his best days, is not anything compared to Ben Roethlisberger. Say what you will about him and what he is on the road and what have you, but Ben Roethlisberger has won two Super Bowls. And he is very good at home still, whether he decides to care about the game or not, or if he knows how to keep his hands to himself, that is entirely independent of the fact that he is substantially better than Prescott. Can Dallas afford to be rid of a weapon of that level? Can they afford to play without the running game? And if Jason Garrett is leaving, having a new system? I don't know, man. That's that. That's something to keep keep an eye on. We uh, That, I think, is going to play... Very different than Le'Veon Bell, because I think that Elliott will get his way eventually. And, uh... (laughs) So, Joe Theismann, Mr. Break My Leg in Half and to the Side, he stated that he believes Dwayne Haskins should sit his rookie season. Interesting that he says that, considering obviously what happened to him and what happened to Alex Smith. But, speaking on 106.7 The Fans, Poland and Lavero radio show, uh, he said this about the situation of the Redskins considering starting Haskins versus sitting him. I would definitely say he shouldn't start. Our first five games are in Philly, Dallas at home, Chicago on a Monday night, word up. Then we get the Giants, and then we get New England. The young man's played 13 football games. What in that whole entire description makes any sense or convinces you he should play? Ryan, number one, should Dwayne Haskins play this year? And number two, will he? I think he definitely will play at some point. Should he start the season? Probably not. I do like him as a quarterback, and it's interesting Theismann says that, considering Theismann gave Haskins you know, the blessing to wear his number because that's you know what you need from Joe Theismann, of all people. Right. I mean, those first five games, Theismann makes a pretty good point. It's a, it's a gauntlet, and it really just depends on how tough you think Haskins is in his head, where if those first five games are probably going 0-5, 1-4, or whatever, he get beat up a little bit. And you think, you know, does that shake his confidence for the rest of the season, which then shakes his confidence for the rest of his career? Or do you let him sit back with the coaches and say, hey, here's what, you know, who's ever started? Is it Alex Smith in Washington? Well, yeah, but if you remember, he had an injury that was almost as bad as Theismann's was. He's out for this year. Oh. So who they, yeah, so who they have right now is, um, oh, man, he played in Minnesota and he was in Denver last Keenum? year. Keenum? Yes, yes, Case oh, Keenum. Yeah, he's there. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. You probably play him. Let him, let him get his lumps, and maybe you go three and two, and then 
you know, you can ride that to the playoffs or weather storm, even if you go two and three. Uh, I'd play him and see what happens. I didn't know Case Keenan was alternative. I thought it was Alex Smith. And I was like, well, they no, got it. No, Alex Smith Jesus. is done. Yeah, yeah. then, yeah, then play right. It makes no sense to give Keenum more burn. <laughs> All right. And, you know, this, this sucks. And this obviously has to be part of the reason behind, obviously, Theismann's opinion. Uh, you know, Washington has had a lot of um, history of that with RG3, with Alex Smith, with himself. Like, Washington is plagued. Maybe, you know what, maybe it's a curse put on the team for keeping that stupid-ass name. I don't know, just a theory, but we go on to another scenario, which actually is the, uh, you know, fear that came to light what Theismann said actually happened to Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals have lost their first-round pick. The club confirmed that rookie left tackle Jonah Williams underwent left shoulder surgery Tuesday to repair a torn labrum that is likely to side him for the entire season. He is expected to make a full recovery, but he sat out in mandatory minicamp from the 11th to the 13th after getting injured the week before in practice. This is exactly the fear that ever that quarterbacks for sure have, but Cincinnati having this loss to a lineman, how bad is it going to get for them without Marvin Lewis? It'll get pretty bad, but Marvin Lewis, you know, just kind of by himself was not, he wasn't a horrible coach. He could just never get over the hump to be, you know, really good. As far as, you know, just for Jonah Williams, I mean, that sucks considering one of, one of the kind of the few positions that can come in and make really an, an immediate impact right away in the NFL is an offensive lineman. And now he won't get that opportunity. He's going to miss a year. Um, you know, hopefully, obviously, nothing goes wrong with his rehab. But it's uh, it's it's bad for the Bengals considering, you know, you did still have some offensive weapons on your team. You know, you Joe Joe Mixon running behind, uh, you know, running behind the offensive line. You still have A.J. Green on the outside. So you could possibly do something. Um but it's a, it's a big blow because now you just don't have a first-round pick for a year. I personally think the Bengals are going to be god-awful. And I also think that Andy Dalton may die. Uh, having your left tackle, your rookie left tackle, who consensus everybody had Jonah Williams as a fantastic pick for them, a very good offensive lineman. Having him gone and now having your left tackle position be thrown up to whoever was second on the roster of an already bad roster, that's not good for anybody. In particular, the Red Rocket, who is probably going to be seeing red while blood is coming down his eyes, while everybody in the AFC North is going to be tackling his ass. I think Cincinnati's going to be lucky to get to six wins. That's uh, that's a hot take. You do want to take the stats on that? Go to Vegas. You bet the under on whatever win total Cincinnati has. They didn't draft a quarterback in any round, did they? Cincinnati? No, they did not. Jeez. Well, I, no, no, oh, no, they no. have Ryan Finley. Maybe they did. Who's he? I feel like they. I feel like they did. Here, let's hold on. This is Ryan Finley, NC State. Natty Bengales. Let's see here. Yeah. Yeah, they picked Finley in round four. Uh, and he's a tall kid. I think he can definitely take a beating. 
but he screams Mike Lennon to me. He's a little better than Glenn. I'm not going to resp- disrespect him that much, but I, I wouldn't take any Cincinnati Bengals player in fantasy at all. Jonah Williams being out is going to hurt the pass, run game, everything. I think they're going to be an atrocious team this year. Uh, but we got a different scenario, completely different situation here, a team that I'm super high on, which is Seattle, who reportedly, now this there's not a lot to go on on this, but there's a potential that Bobby Wagner will be signed to an extension before or during the 2019 season. Unlike with quarterback Russell Wilson and his contract extension talks, the Seattle Seahawks negotiations with Bobby Wagner haven't provided much news. Pete Carroll, whose eternal optimism always clouds the truthiness, lovely word there from the Colbert show, the truthiness of his words, has continually suggested the Wagner and the team will work out a deal and the leader of his defense will remain just that for the long haul. Do you think Seattle is going to get this contract dispute done during or before this season? Or is it going to be something that bleeds over like all the rest of that defense had? I think given their past kind of fights, if you will, with their other defensive players, I can see, and with Pete Carroll being so outspoken about it, I can see this one getting done during the season. That was way he's not getting flipped off on a a medical cart <laughs> when uh, right. when Bobby Wagner gets hurt. I mean, Bobby Wagner is obviously by far their best player, arguably the best middle linebacker in all of the NFL. And now that the Russell Wilson situation is finished, I don't think that there's any sort of reprehension in order to do so. He's by far their best player on defense. He's the quarterback of the defense, as cliche as that sounds. And after everything they've already gone through, Him sticking around and not really putting up much of a fuss, I think it's going to pay off for him in a way that all the rest of the guys are going to sit there and be like, what the hell, why didn't you do that for us? And finally, and this one is the one I think we're going to take the most time on. It is spicy. It is juicy. I am all for it because I, I called this eons ago, not the particular subject matter of it, but of the guy himself being a choke artist and also apparently now running a program very similar to how uh, Jimbo Fisher does or insert, you know, college coach who runs a bad program. We got Kansas City. Folks in Kansas City are starting to turn on Andy Reid. Kansas City radio host Kevin Keatsman is facing backlash for his criticism of Chiefs head coach Andy Reid, which ventured into a personal realm. Keatsman has been a host of Between the Lines on Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City for over 20 years and is proud of his provocative commentary. He carried in that tradition Monday when talking about Reid. Keatsman discussed the issues Tyreek Hill is facing and combined Hill's disciplinary issues with the problems Reed's sons have had. He concluded Reed has problems disciplining people. And while it's a controversial thing to bring his family into the mix, it is a question that it needs to be brought up about Kansas City. This looks like a powder keg ready to explode. What's going on? I mean... A homeboy's comments were way out of line. Bringing up the man, 
the man's son. Um, and then going on Twitter afterwards and saying that he didn't say that at all. It was in, like we heard the audio. You mentioned this dude's family twice. And you said he like the comment was literally something along the lines of, and we have to factor that in here. And then he went on Twitter and said, I would never, ever discuss something like that. So he's a shitbag for that. As far as Kansas City in general, I don't know how much locker room turmoil there is. And I love Patrick Mahomes, but man, there's a there's a lot going on just in that locker room. Um, oh, you obviously away from football, but I don't think a Tyreek Hill situation or even a Kareem Hunt situation falls on Andy Reid's disciplinary skills. I'm sure he didn't go out there, and if Tyreek Hill had gotten benched by Andy Reid, he wasn't going to go, you know, kick and punch that woman. Same thing, or uh, Kareem Hunt kick and punch that woman, and Tyreek Hill beat his girl or whatever he did, breaking his child's arm, something like that was the whole a whole weird Basically, thing with the court. Child abuse is the is but, the alleged situation. But I think that those would have happened no matter what team those two gentlemen were on. Those didn't happen, you know. Under Andy Reid's watch. Now, if he's going to punch an assistant coach and then go back out there and play the second quarter or something, then I could think you, hey, yeah, this dude has some disciplinary issues. Um, but, man, that, I mean, that team in general, they just lost, obviously, Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt. It's, uh, it's, it's rough. Those two, you know, two of their best players, maybe their two best offensive players outside of the quarterback. And now they have to find uh, and pick up that production elsewhere. And there's a, a whole lot of production between those two players. Uh, it's just, it's interesting how if you compare, not even if you compare, but if you just look at Andy Reid's history, he's had to deal with a lot of divas and a lot of problems in some total. He's had to deal with Terrell Owens and Donovan McNabb situations between the two of them. He brought on Michael Vick after the dogfighting scenario. He has dealt with Tyreek Hill and now Kareem Hunt as well. And it's not to even to say to question his character as a coach of a disciplinarian or anything like that. That's not really the question. It's more that it seems like he is attracted to these sort of players in the sense that his roster seems to keep being built with guys with bad decisions on them. Now, that could just be the personnel that he brings in around him that are sitting there evaluating the players. It could be the fact that he might just turn a cheek to what, you know, all the rumors. So, you know, because guys are who they are. And things like this with Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill. I mean, in fairness, Tyreek Hill was drafted after he had been kicked out of, L- I believe it was kicked out of LSU for a domestic violence issue that was still going on with Baton Rouge PD. If I I believe, I may be getting the details a little skewed, but he was already brought in with baggage. Then this happens. I doubt with Kareem Hunt, that was the first time a scenario like that occurred. It seems like Andy Reid doesn't know how to say no to guys like this. Maybe he has kind of a white knight syndrome going on where he thinks that he can fix him and get him straight and whatever. And with Patrick Mahomes, that's enough of that. Like, you you can't do that. You can't be bringing this guy up with all these personalities around to kind of not create a good locker room environment for this guy. And whether it's these guys with these issues existing at all, you got to get rid of them. And Andy Reid, if he's going to salvage this, which is tenable at best, 
as I had already said, he, he's, a, he's a good regular season winner. But with this stuff now, I don't really see how there's any way that Kansas City wins a Super Bowl with him unless he can change who he is and stop chasing after guys with problems. I mean, that's the, that's the way the Andy Reid teams are really built. They're always getting kind of that one or two player away. With the Chiefs, I mean, with the Chiefs, they just kind of struck gold on, uh, on Mahomes, which helped accelerate, you know, whatever even mini rebuild that they had. Um, but definitely in Philadelphia, you know, bringing on Terrell Owens, he had baggage in, uh, in San Francisco, which is obviously how, how they were able to get him. Uh, but that was a team that had gone to, well, three straight NFC title games and lost all of them. And then the year T.O. comes, they go to the Super Bowl. So we put them over that hump, and then they lost, obviously, by a field goal in the Super Bowl. And then after that, it was never really the same with uh, with McNabb and T.O. But he's just trying to do what's uh, what he thinks is best for his football team. But a lot of times, is what's is better for what's on the field. Um, but it's not – it's almost like Larry Brown syndrome where it's not set up for, you know, long-term success just with the – all the ingredients that you got in the in the fruit punch there. Exactly. So I guess the real question is, is for Kansas City moving forward, do you think they're making the playoffs next year? Who's, they have Oakland. Who's in their division? They have Oakland. They got Oakland and uh, Los Oakland, Angeles Denver. Now, not San Diego. And they have and, Denver, who is on a rebuild. Okay. And the Chargers. Uh, yeah, they should make the playoffs. Even if it's just as a wild card, even if the Chargers get, you know, first seed or whatever. Me and I Mahomes, baby. I, 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 I mean, Mahomes in and of himself is good enough. I just, I, this, this situation is going to be rough for, for the guy who has the same voice as Kermit the Frog. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> and that ends our uh, very first uh, edition, uh, actual named edition of the burnt furnace right thank you so much for sticking in here with me and now cue the cars because we are moving on to a scintillating b-filled edition of the grizzly takes Ryan, as we were discussing this week just in general and just uh we we had a, a little joke going on here about uh, Masai Ujiri, in my opinion of the man, and just the actions that he had. We had, a, we had a really fun joke with it. So it inspired me to just think about, like, savageness, right, in sports and, and beef, if you will, as the phrase goes. And so I wanted to go around that motif, because I feel like you and I are, are full of hate. We are, we are definitely part of the hate brigade, and the hate squad, and, and haterade, and whatever term you want to use for a lot of different stuff. So the thing I wanted to start with for the two of us was who do you have the biggest beef with in sports right now? As of today, June, whatever the hell, Ryan, PWRHS Griffin, who is the guy you got beef with right now in sports? I got beef with you. No, I got beef with... uh, (laughs) I mean, I, I don't like Kendrick Perkins. Uh, it's a lot of the former athletes that go like on after after they're done playing, and they just start talking a gang of massive shit about everybody in the league, guys I don't like, and it's really never anything positive. Um, I, I mean, I guess a guy that I've I've never liked, uh, Chris Paul is is someone I've beat with, so that'll probably be my answer. 
He's been what? a dirty play. Man, he's been a dirty player. So he's one of the, the ten best point guards ever. Nah, he's he's, re- yeah. he's a really good player, but he's always been dirty. He he doesn't treat his teammates well, and you didn't even need who was it uh, Rondo to come out and say this guy's a bad teammate. Everybody thinks he's a good guy. Like you could see it. He's the reason where DeAndre Jordan, before he got cold feet, almost left for the Mavs the first time was because of Chris Paul and just the way that he treated him. And then you see it uh, even in the reports where he was going to Rockets management, and I know he said that didn't happen. But he's going to say, you know, it's me or James Harden. So, well, obviously, who do you think they're going to pick? Like, they're not about, right. to, they're not about to pick you. Um, <laughs> and him – and at the, the money thing's kind of separate. $40 million, like, you can obviously make $40 million. I don't have a beef with that. But – when you request a trade, you have to know that he's, you know, the, like the head of the CBA. So he's really the main reason why these players are getting like the like such large contracts um, that really benefits a player like himself. And then he's going to request a trade when you know, like, that's not going to happen. Nobody's going to pay you that money. So it's kind of, I don't know. It's like he set himself up. He wanted his cake and then know to eat it to to get traded and just bouncing from team to team still thinking he can be uh you know one of the one of the alpha dogs on the team right and i don't i don't like it (laughs) not a big chris paul guy the person well it's a great player but well here's the thing uh obviously it's grizzly as hell i I, it shocks me honestly because of how you and paul defended him so much like i don't like him at all i think he's toxic well you were you were spouting loser. nonsense why he he's a toxic loser and i'm sorry but like you're when you talk about best play best point guards ever like awesome he can't get out of the second round first off he and went also to the conference finals last year no but here's the, don't here's make me defend him again but man problem. here's the problem that i have with chris paul so much and the problem that i have with guys when they're evaluating in terms of their talent, like best player ever, whatever. You have to account for this shit. You have to account for the fact that he is a bum. And he's a guy that is going to tear apart your locker room. He's going to kick dudes in the balls like a little punk ass. And he's going to wear that stupid-ass smile on State Farm and be there with Oscar from The Office where he has no right because Oscar should be on his own in those commercials because he can do it himself because he does a great job as an actor. He doesn't need Chris (laughs) Paul's stupid-ass face there to do that shit with James Harden. Oh, did you burn up my house? Motherfucker, I'll burn both your goddamn houses. Fuck you. So, yes, absolutely. Beef for days. Screw Chris Paul. Jeez. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Mine is going to be typical as hell. Ryan, I bet you could guess mine without me even saying it. Who my biggest beef is. You know what? I'm curious. Out of of everybody who I have beef with, who is the person who I have the biggest beef with right now? Who do you think I'm going to say? So many people you hate. Um, <laughs> it makes me fun as a sports fan, though. You gotta admit. <laughs> the uh, player, I have a rational hate. The player, well, coach. it could be anybody in general. Man. That's the thing. I got D'Antonio. You don't like? Well, nah, no, I don't have. Well, I do have beef. <laughs> <laughs> I just have an immense amount of hatred, like er- sometimes irrational hatred for people. It's fun. It makes my sporting experience better because then I have rooting interests. And there is nobody chief among them 
more than Matt Painter and his stupid, pudgy motherfucking face. <laughs> I what? hate this motherfucker so much. I'm sorry, Matt, that you have to edit this, but I swear on all deities and all realms and all realities, Matt Painter is the worst human. He has taken a program that I loved with Gene Cady at Purdue, and he decided to not only steal players away from my school by telling them, oh, you don't have to lose weight or any of that stupid shit, because Lord knows Matt Painter couldn't do it on his own with his gumpy little ass just flopping all over the place in the poorly tailored suits of his. But he, he takes Purdue and makes him unlikable. You know how hard that is to make Purdue douchebags it's pretty easy it takes a it takes a special kind of person and that is matt painter that dude sucks he has no coaching acumen he got them to elite the elite eight and still pissed it away because he's a uh, oh actually you know what you know what it was one player who he was lucky to even have who was a volume shooter anyway. Matt Painter has, he fell into success. That's all it is. He shows up every day. He falls into his car. Someone else says his <laughs> wife probably <laughs> drives him. He falls into his car, just rolls down with his pudgy little ass down his little suburban sidewalk with his stupid white picket fence. His wife drives him to the stadium, says, here you are, babe. And then he's like, where is this? And she's like, the school where you work at, you dumb bitch. Because she wears the pants in the relationship, obviously. And then he gets out. He goes in and is like, oh, what are we doing today, fellas? And Carson Edwards is like, I'm going to score. 40 points he's like oh what does that mean he's like oh we'll go to the elite eight oh fucking awesome cool great i hate him so much i hope that matt painter goes down to a d3 school where it's all just a bunch of kids from jail that try to shank him every day and he has enough portly little flub on the side that he won't die from the puncture wound that was aggressive i i can't grizzly that or i'm being accomplished <laughs> for a murder <laughs> And have nothing to do with that. Uh, Listeners, <laughs> FBI, NCAA, who's ever, who's ever listening? Oh, see, I'm all hot now. I'm all hot now thinking about Matt Painter ruining the Purdue program. <laughs> oh, I want to love them so much. I love the football team so much. That is my grandparents' school. That may, may as well be my number two school. But I can't when I see that dude. Because, okay, this is a thought experiment for everybody. Go to Google. Type in Matt Painter, and if you see a photo where it's not him with his dumbass mouth open in an oval in surprise, you are seeing something special. Because that dude has a look on him like he is like, where the hell am I? What is basketball? This is a crazy little sport I'm coaching right now. Oh, he's the worst. What? Alright, well, you know what? I uh, See, uh, now all I can think about is this stupid man. But anyways. Rent-free. <laughs> what is... So, we go to our second thing, which is... The, what is the most savage move you've seen in sports since 2010? I put the cutoff there, because there's a lot of savagery that goes on in sports. But, Ryan, what is the most savage thing that you have seen since 2010? So the, a couple of candidates, mine's one of the more famous ones probably, is in the 2011 finals after the Heat lost and LeBron went to the podium and basically told everyone, 
you know, the question was, what do you have to say to people that were rooting for you to fail? He's like, well, your lives suck anyway, and you still have to go live those lives, and I still get to be LeBron James, and I get to continue to do what I want to do. <laughs> and that was the whole answer, but he sunned every single person that really wanted him to fail and felt, you know, an accomplishment from him failing. I didn't want him to win the finals, and I was happy that he didn't. But the the way that he put it was something that you really don't hear from athletes and if you do it's an athlete that's not anywhere near the the status of lebron james so that to me just just given who he was was the the most savage moment and because the amount of people he was talking to too it wasn't singular savagery it was a just a large net of yeah but and then he he even broke down the timeline if you celebrate this for three days three months three years, whatever it is, you know, eventually you're going to have to go back to your life with your problems. And even to this day, that clip cracks me up. I remember that. I remember Skip Bayless on first take freaking out about that. I remember that very well. And, uh, if I, man, that's, uh, I I bet your, uh, Brian Cardinal Facebook page had a lot interesting to say about that. Am I right? That's right. I mean, the custodian. (laughs) Uh, I would love to see those receipts, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I mean, see, I, I don't know, because it's kind of cuddly, because like, in and of itself, it's super savage. The problem is, is that coming from LeBron, it's really hollow because you know he cares. Like this dude has tried so hard to tailor his image and control everything that, like, well, yeah, he says, oh, well, I get to still be LeBron James. I think it really does still get him though. That people don't like him. He wants so badly to tailor everything. The news. The teams. Everything. So people will love him. And they just don't. And I think that that. While in 2011. That was pretty pretty solid. I think coming from someone like Kobe. Who probably legit does not care about anybody. Except for Kobe. That probably rings more true. But coming from LeBron. I'll be honest. It seems kind of hollow now. I mean, I mean, after that, LeBron went on in, you know, like, villain mode. Or people say, you know, he embraced being the villain after that first year in Miami. And then they won two straight titles. And then he won one in Cleveland. And ever since then, he's been kind of, you know, unapologetic about being LeBron James and just saying what, what he thinks. Almost, you know, like Kobe in the older years, where every press conference, it seemed like Kobe was just saying some, like, wild shit. Or even if it wasn't wild, he was just cussing, like, uh, almost kind of for no reason. Um, and you're like, man, like this dude knows he's only got a couple years left and he just doesn't care, you know, what the media or anyone else writes about it. But, you know, since then, you've you've seen him call out reporters for asking dumb questions. Um, you've seen him talk shit on the court um, to Clay, you know, uh, Steph Curry after he blocked him in the finals. Um, who, you know, he had that, he had that whole thing with, uh, with Lance Stevenson. Uh, and granted, you know, Lance took that farther for a few games, but in the first couple games, you know, LeBron was LeBron was kind of feeding into it, uh, almost like Kevin Durant and Patrick Beverly, you know, most recently. Um, so there's a couple a couple different instances where you could say that might have even been like a turning point um, to where LeBron decided, okay, now I'm really gonna stop giving, you know, I'm gonna stop giving credence to what people think of me, and that could have been kind of the the setting off point for all of that. 
Alright, well mine is something a little more unconventional. And some, I know if Paul listens to this, which he probably won't because if it doesn't have his voice in it, he won't ever listen to it. But, uh, mine may be ring a little of little brother syndrome, but the most savage thing I ever saw was what Michigan State did to Michigan in 2013. I mean, I'm going to ring back the stats just to remind everybody, because I like reminding everyone of what happened there. But negative 48 rushing yards for Michigan, absolutely the lowest in school history. They only had 168 total yards. It was 29 to 6. It was a straight up, just a murder. It was brutal as hell. D'Antonio was mad. He Ever since what Mike Hart had said, he built to this moment. The players were pulling face masks. They were just brutally damaging everybody. Brady Hoke was apologizing for them putting a stake in the S in the middle of the field. It was so brutal how badly Michigan State beat Michigan that day. You knew that they did it on purpose. They were blitzing full force in the fourth quarter, and it didn't matter. Michigan wasn't moving that ball, and it did not matter. Mark, if he had his way, would continue playing that game to this day. It is the most (laughs) savage thing I've ever seen, because I've never seen a football team so so greatly destroy not only a program, but in particular Brady Hoke, that I don't even know if Brady Hoke can get it up anymore. He was emasculated so much in that game that I'm pretty sure that he has troubles in the bedroom now. I mean, it's, it's grisly for me, but that's because, uh, because of where my loyalties lie. Uh, I remember watching that game. I was in, I was actually in Canada watching my friend play hockey. And I was watching with one of my friends who he didn't really care about college football like that, but we were watching the hotel room and I was freaking out. Obviously, even though it wasn't a close game, just you know the the amount of sacks. And there's a play, man. There's a series where I think we sacked them on first, second, and third down. There and were, it, and there if were and if it wasn't sacks. and if it wasn't a sack, it was like seven. There's only four and a half. No, 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 no. There was four and a half in the first quarter. Oh. Okay, uh, but there's a series. If it, if it wasn't three sacks in a row, it was like uh, hits. Or yeah, whatever. it was like a muff punt or not, or not a muff punt, but it was like a fumble, like a, a huge loss for a huge loss for yardage on a run, like another sack, and then it was like third and because I think we got him to like fourth and thirty, be, yeah. because of all of you know, just because of kind of what had happened in succession, and yeah, throughout the game you can just tell it was a it was a beat down and a pummeling. Um, I do want to give an honorable mention to something that just happened in baseball. Don't know the pitcher. Don't even know the batter. But the pitcher yelled at the batter, like, hey, you got to run. Don't watch the ball. And then the batter was that like. Was Mad- that was Madison Baumgartner and Mike Muncy. Mm-hmm. And then my man said, if you want, if you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And that, that's that was ho- the old guard. And that's hilarious old guard to me. of baseball versus the new. I'll give Madison Baumgartner credit in that, though. Um. He he didn't, whenever Muncy fired back at him, he said, you know what, I'm able to talk or whatever. He didn't act like an old head where it was like, oh, baseball code or whatever. He said, if you're going to take your time around the bases, I'm going to yell at you. That's basically what Baumgartner said, which you can't come back from, you know, get out of the ocean. But at least ocean. he was yeah, at least he wasn't like, oh, that's the unwritten rules of baseball, man. You know, you know so. what, uh, and what Max Kellerman said. To Ryan Hollins recently. 
That was wild. <laughs> oh my god. This is an NBA I player. I love the boldness there. He's look, on look, TV. In fairness. Like, imagine someone your size being good at basketball to an NBA player. Look, he's putting himself out there. He, okay, this is exactly what you were saying about Kendrick Perkins, though. He's putting himself out there saying all this stupid crap, and he's talking wet for no reason when he wasn't even an integral part of any of these teams. Like, well, I don't want to hear what you have to say, little man. Shut up. <laughs> imagine being good at basketball. This is the NBA for years. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that up on the Facebook for anybody who hasn't seen it. It's savage as hell. And Max Kellerman delivers that straight too. He is not backing down. <laughs> oh. Speak it speaking of that's a potential rivalry uh looming there, but move it moving right along, we got ourselves my favorite subject of them all, which is Getting rivalries suck in sports now. I think we can all agree on that. The rivalries now are, are awful outside of very specific sports. Teams don't care. And social media makes everybody friends nowadays. I despise it. I want more beef, as it were. And uh, so speaking of that, Ryan, I want you to name a rivalry for me that you desperately need to come back to its prominence of before where it's been idle or maybe it's gone. I mean, I would like to see the, I would like to see just really any basketball rivalry come back, but one where I could get into it is Pistons and Bulls. I want somebody (laughs) that I can hate in the same division that we see four or five times a year that, you know, there's a, there's a team that I can genuinely dislike just for that reason, because I don't have a problem with the Bulls. I don't have a problem with the Pacers, the Raptors, the Bucks, you know, whoever else is in the Pistons division. I don't hate any of those teams because there's no reason to. If for a minute there was wow. the Pacers, but I would for sure I'm hate give the. You a... uh... <laughs> but I would for sure like to hate the Bulls again, and bring 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 that back those, those classic battles. I think that that is grisly as hell because I think that would be just endless content for us. Just it, it would be super fun to be on the opposite side of it because, in fairness, Paul. He's a family man. He doesn't have to worry about our quibbles. But if I if we were able to have a different adversary, hardly. See, the problem though is that the Pistons have no future. So the Bulls are going to be very, very good, and the Pistons are just going to be bottom of the barrel. That's the thing. So, oh, the Bulls have lighter skin Drake at point guard, shooting guard, small forward, and all of a sudden they're the cream of the crop. Hey, hey, Laurie Markinen is the next coming of Dirk Nowitzki. So. Maybe he'll play more than 50 games. Well, I sure as shit hope so. <laughs> Mine is a series that dates back before even the Civil War. It was violent as hell. There was guerrilla warfare going on, and it started to get less violent. But it was equally compelling, and that was Kansas and Missouri, the border war in basketball. One of my favorite moments ever is my father and I watching on television because my my father and I had gone and seen the Kansas National Championship team in 2008 when they went through the Detroit Regional. We saw that Kansas team with Mario Chalmers beat a Stephen Curry who was just going lights out. Like we saw Stephen Curry before Stephen Curry was was the deal. 
But I love those Kansas teams. And Bill Self, obviously, is a sore spot for me. He's up there in my beef list as well. But I used to love Kansas. And that team back with Thomas Robinson and those guys, they went on the road to Missouri. It was the last matchup of the border war because Missouri was going to the SEC. It was February 6, 2012. It is still, to this day, the most electric atmosphere I've ever seen on television for a college basketball game. Go back and watch that game. It's a really good game as well. Was only, I'm not even going to spoil what happens, even though it happened seven years ago. But it was amazing. I miss the border war. I in Missouri basketball is never going to be good without Kansas egging them on to try to get them to be relevant. So I miss it a lot. The SEC ruined a lot of those sort of rivalries, and I want that back really badly. That's uh, <laughs> that's grizzly. I like any type of rivalry in college basketball. Those haven't gone away, you know, nearly to the same extent that the NBA has. But you could look around, and there's only there's probably only three or four great rivalries in college basketball anyway. Um, that you know kind of everybody gets hyped up for. Uh, so kind of bringing back any of those would would be nice because I like to see teams and coach. I want to see more beef between coaches specifically because I don't think <laughs> the players will ever truly despise each other again only because they know what like the other team is going through. So even if you don't like someone, you know they had to sacrifice. You know what they're doing to practice. You know – Kind of how many hours they're putting into it. I like the coach beef because the coach beef is almost always way more petty. It's something yeah. to do with a press conference. I didn't like what he said to me. You know, he took my job here. He was he was gunning for my job here. Um, something along those lines. We played five years ago, and, and we were both at different teams, and he was just an asshole then. So I like coach beef. I want, I want to bring bring more of the coaching beef back. I'll tell you what, I think that's going to wind up happening with Juwan Howard. I think we're going to see Michigan State, Michigan go to a whole new level with this dude. I really do. Because uh, State's just going to pound their shit in every time they play. I, I fully expect Tom to be lay, laying a good 20 buck on every game this year. Like, I, I think Michigan is going to get brutalized. And I don't think Juwan's going to run a clean program either. I'm just going to call that right now. I really don't see how that's going to happen. And with the Fab Five trying to come back and stuff, they're going to try to like keep a backbone while Tom's going to try to wail them into submission in his final years. He's going to get Chris Weber on the coaching staff and say, I knew you should have came <laughs> to Michigan State. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? We're going to start seeing a lot more of these kind of rivalries possibly occurring too because UConn is going back to the Big East. Heck, yes, I am ending this show that way. Absolutely, because UConn is going back to the promised land. We are restoring the Big East even remotely back to its level. I am so happy about this. Requiem for the Big East, the best ESPN 30 for 30. And we will finally start having more of the Big East as a whole. Oh, I'm so happy, Ryan. I'm, you have no idea how happy I am that UConn is coming back. As long as Calhoun's back to start up his shit. Well, Cal- Calhoun is not, but and Kevin Ollie is a is a shitbird, but somebody's going to be some New England guy, and I think that the Big East is going to we're going to start seeing some good stuff coming out of them again, especially if UConn can get back to its former glory. Well, he seemed to be coach. 
<laughs> I, uh, no. All right. Well, with that final plug for the Big East, uh, as always, love Gotham, love New York, but uh, we end this uh, this here journey, Mister Mister Griffin and myself. It was a good show. I have done every show with every combination of person. I think we've done every duo possible outside of Matt and Paul, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. So we need to we need yeah. to get that figured out. So Ryan, you got a final word for the folks? Uh. Yeah, and I hope Matt doesn't cut this out, but sometime, some point during the summer, we're going to be doing a, a big movie, sports movie bracket, where all your favorite sports oh, yeah. movies and all the ones that you've never heard of, courtesy of Matt, are going to come in the head-to-head face-off, where it's going to be much like the Marvel bracket, where we we dish on which movie is better, and if we can't decide, we're going to go to the audience scores where all the Matt's movies will lose, because only five people have reviewed them. But then they might all have five stars, so it's a, it's a big wild card. Well, that's also assuming that we're going with Matt's format of the bracket. So thank you for that vote of confidence. I appreciate that. I but, mean, uh, regardless, it's going to be a bracket, and they're going to well, be fighting each true. other. That's true. Well, let, if Paul ever decides to, number one, listen to a show that he isn't on, which will never happen. But number two, if he ever does his cuts, uh, which also will never happen. Uh, then we will get to our our podcast regarding those movies. But we got the NBA free agencies coming up on June 30th. We got the U.S. women's team moving right along, possibly going to win another World Cup. And uh, we got offseason for the NFL coming around. So keep a lookout for all of that stuff. Keep a lookout for Sports Carnage, for all the cool little videos. We got a new one we just posted of Kemba Walker on a Japanese game show. And he beat Stephen Curry. You'll want to see that. So take a look on Sports Carnage Facebook for that. For Ryan WSHRF Griffin and D. Dylan Bear, thank you so much for listening as always, folks, and getting this far. Till next week, bye-bye.